John chapter 15. We'll let the kids ease out of here for a time of study. It was the great uh, philosopher of the 1980s who said, what's love got to do with it? <laughs> Can you name that philosopher? Um, Tina Turner wrote, or wrote, or I guess she, I think she just sang it, I don't think she wrote it. I actually think I read that she did not want to even do the song, but ended up doing it. And it became a hit, an award-winning song in 1985. I think some of us were alive in 1985. Um, I was four years old, I guess, at that time. But, so I was alive. But she wrote the song, and, you know, it's catchy, right? Again, won a lot of awards, popular song. We all at least know the title, know a little bit about it. And it's a song about uh, a lady who wants a relationship but doesn't really want love to be involved with it. <laughs> and that's why she asked that question. And we get that. We get that relationships are sometimes messed up <laughs> in that way. But I, I thought about that question and that song because when it comes to being a follower of Jesus Christ, we can't ask the question, what's love got to do with it? Because the answer is, love has everything to do with it. Because we know, and we've been taught since we were small children, that God loves us, right? And we see it in Scripture, for God so love the world. We see it in Scripture in other places. We love Him because He first loved us. And so we sang, we've sang songs like we just sang a moment ago. We've heard Scripture teachings. We've heard sermons on the fact that God loves us and that we must love Him and that we must love each other as a church. And even so far as to see in Scripture that we are to even love and pray for our enemies. And so what does love have to do with it for the Christian? Well, the answer is everything. And in this text, as Jesus continues in John 15 to teach these disciples, um, he gives them this little reminder that they must love one another. Let's read it. John 15, verses 12 through 17 this morning. And if you're there, say word. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatsoever I have commanded you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. I want to give you from this text four thoughts related to what's love got to do with it. The first one is this. Notice that this is a command to love. 
Now, remember our context here. Jesus has had this last supper with his disciples. He has washed their feet. He has been teaching them. We know that Judas Iscariot has left the room and gone to do his deed. And, and Jesus is there in this upper room teaching these disciples, preparing to go out. And in just hours, he's going to be arrested. And in less than a day, he's going to be crucified. And so we can just sense, just, and we can certainly, as we read the whole scripture, an urgency here and an emphasis as Jesus gives these, these men his, some of his final teachings to them in John 15. And last week, we talked about the first part of chapter 15, where Jesus said, you must abide in the vine. And as a branch must abide in the vine to get life, Jesus says, you must abide, remain to live in me, that you might have spiritual life and that you might go bear fruit. And so he says, you must abide. And now he gives them a second thing, and it's a command. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another. Again, if you skip down to verse 17, it repeats it. He says, I say these things to you as a command. Love one another. I was trying to think about what are some of the greatest examples of Christ speaking on love. And the number one thing that pops into my, my mind is Matthew 22. When a Pharisee comes to Jesus trying to trick him and says, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What's the number one commandment we should be focused on? And really, they're trying to trap him or trick him. And Jesus, of course, answers perfectly. And he says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But then he didn't stop, did he? He said, there's a second one that's like it. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus quotes the Old Testament and gives them this law. And he says, on these two commands hang all the law and the prophets, or depend all the law and the prophets. And there's other examples of Christ talking about love. So this is not the first time the disciples have heard it. This is not the first time you've heard it, right? But it must be important that Christ would repeat it to these disciples. And it must be important that we hear it over and over again. How many of us love each other perfectly? None of us. Sometimes we can't even love the people we like, <laughs> right? Have you ever said that to a family member? I did this week. To a family member who happens to be in this room right now, I said, I love you, but I don't really like you right now. <laughs> and um, so, anyway, I apologize for that. But we struggle to love like it is, much less without hearing repeatedly from God's word the command to love. That he's calling us to it. It's not like this is optional. When Jesus said to these disciples, hey guys, when I leave you, go love one another, it wasn't like an optional thing. Or, or you know, if, if you feel like it, love each other. No. You must love one another. How important is it to love? Well, for these guys, these disciples, we know they were going to carry on the work of Christ, right? In Acts 1, he ascends to heaven, and they're there praying together, like, what do we do now? And, of course, they're waiting, and the Holy Spirit comes in the next chapter but, to help them. But they had to carry on his work, and they had to be a testimony of, of who Christ was. And a part of who Christ was is that he was a loving Savior, and is a loving Savior. Have you ever been a part of a business? Have you ever worked somewhere where people did not get along? That's going to be tough, right? It's tough for that business to operate at top performance when people aren't getting along. And I don't even mean loving each other, right? I just mean getting along. How about a, you've been a part of a team or your kids ever played sports on a team where there was infighting? 
And you saw how the team struggled because there was just not unity amongst the team. And again, I'm not even talking about love, just no unity. How about a church? You ever been part of a church, ever been part of a church where the people didn't like each other, didn't love each other, didn't want to be around each other, were not unified? That's a whether it's a business, whether it's a team, whether it's a church, a a a group that doesn't love each other, a group that's not unified is a miserable place to be. A miserable place to be. And so how important is love and unity for these disciples? It is imperative. Jesus knew that these disciples had to love one another if they were going to go do what he called them and commissioned them to do. And church, Jesus knows we must love one another if we're going to do the things he's called us to do. Number two. So that's the command to love. The second thing I notice in verse 12 is the standard of love. I think this little phrase is maybe the toughest part of this whole text. This is my command, that you love one another, and make a note of this, as I have loved you. The command is not for us just to love each other, but to love each other the way that Christ has loved us. Now, when Christ sets a standard, does he ever lower that standard? It doesn't, does he? I mean, we do. We lower our standards in, in different ways. But when he sets a standard, that is the standard. And in this case, he is the standard. And again, how often do we fall short of the standard when it comes to loving one another? Whether it's our family, our church family, fellow believers. And, and I was, I was kind of reading through this chapter again in, in a, as a whole this week and thought to myself, we better abide in the vine if we're going to be able to love each other. <laughs> Because let's be honest, we're, we're all different, even though most of us come from a similar maybe background in some ways, but we're all different. We have different likes. There are things that I love that you care nothing about, right? There's things some of you love that I may care nothing about. Um, we have differences and, and differences of, of opinions about church and life and even scripture at times. And so for us to be able to love each other and stay unified, even though we have differences, there must be this uh, common denominator, right? And for us, the common denominator that causes us to continue to love each other is that we have a standard, which is the love of Christ for us. As I have loved you, you must love one another. It's no wonder Jesus keeps telling them in this passage, and we're going to see it again in chapter 16, when I leave, I'm going to send the spirit of truth. I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send a comforter. No wonder Jesus is sending a helper because they're going to need it. To be able to love him, or to be able to love each other, through all they're going to go through, and how, and and the thing, same with us, we need a help, and that help is the Holy Spirit. Let me give you, under number two here, four ways that Jesus has loved his disciples up until now. The first thing is he chose them. Look at verse sixteen. John fifteen sixteen. I'm not skipping 13 through 15, by the way. We're going to go back and get that. But 16, he says, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. He just reminds them that their ability to love one another and their ability to follow him was never dependent on their ability. But their desire and ability 
to know him, to follow him, and to follow his commands is dependent upon him calling them first. We understand that the disciples, you remember the story of Matthew, is it Matthew 4? Um, that the, the disciples are out there, some of them are just hanging out, fishing, right? Or whatever, and Jesus comes by and calls them. Matthew, he's sitting at his tax collector's booth, and Jesus comes by and calls him. Jesus sought them, he went after them, he chose them, and they followed. Now this applies to us as well. If you're sitting here today and you are a Christian, it is not because you chose to become a Christian. It's because God chose you first. We love him because he first loved us. We believe in him because he first called and chose us. God's love for his people is eternal. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Verse 4 of Ephesians 1 says, He chose us in himself before the foundation of the world. God did not start loving you the moment you believed in him as Savior. If you're his child, his love for you is eternal. I don't know how we even understand that. Not only is it eternal, it is unconditional. Romans 9 is one place to see this. When it's speaking of Jacob and Esau, it says, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. And it tells us there that, that God chose Jacob, and, and, and they had not, they were not born yet. They had not done good or bad. And God called them from his own unconditional election. When we think about this idea that God's love for his people is eternal and unconditional, we, we must think of it with humility, right? We must think of this, why would God love me? Why would God love me, someone who falls short every day, and if the, all the sins of your entire life were run on a screen back here, we would be here a while, wouldn't we? A while. And yet God loved us anyway and poured out the wrath that those sins should give us onto his son. Have you ever had a kid your own child say, uh, get mad in a moment of rage maybe, and say, yeah, I, don't, I don't even love you anymore. I've had a, one of my kids said that when they were really little, just mad, I don't even love you anymore. I'm like, oh, that's fine, move out. They're like, three years old. They're like three years old, move out, hit the road. But if, a, if a, a child of any age said that, that can be really hurtful, right? And I wonder if sometimes we may doubt the love that God has for us. I love this quote from John Owen. I used it, I've used it recently when he said, one of the worst things we could ever do is doubt God's love for us. If you're in here and you're a believer in Christ, you've put your faith in him, you've repented, you've followed him. I know life gets hard sometimes. I know we might have these moments of seasons of doubt, but look at the word. It, it's, it's clear. He loves us eternally. And unconditionally. So how did he love them? He chose them. Number, number two here is he taught them the truth. I see this in verse 15. It says, no longer do I call you servants. 
For the servant knoweth not what his Lord does, but I have called you friends. For all things I've heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Now what's interesting about verse 15 is that, is that in Jesus' day, you would have these, uh, these rabbis, these teachers, these masters, and they would have followers, just like Jesus did. And the, there would be men who wanted to follow a master to learn from and be discipled by in, in various areas of life, really. But, of course, in this case, they're following Jesus, this, this leader. And in, the, in that context, it was rare that a disciple and a master would be seen as friends, right? It was more of a, a I'm the master, you're the servant type relationship. It was rare that that would bleed over into a friendship, Jesus here says to his followers, no longer do I just call you servants, slaves. I'm calling you friends. That had to be, that had to be a moment for these disciples, for Christ to look at them and say, you're my friend. What, a, what an idea of, of him caring. And, and then he goes on to say, because you're my friends, I have shown you and made manifest and revealed to you all that the Father wants you to know. Some of us are doing a Bible reading plan right now, and if you're on that, stay with it. I know we're, what, eight days in or whatever? Stick with it, a few days in. Um, we're in the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And just think about that Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Just those three chapters is Jesus revealing to these disciples so much. And we know there's more than just that, but he revealed himself. He revealed the Father. He revealed the will of God, and he revealed the truth of God to the disciples. If you're taking notes, write this down. Harmony or truth, question mark. Harmony or truth, question mark. I want to be the kind of friend and ask yourself, are you the kind of friend that if you see something wrong with someone, you'll tell them? Are you that kind of friend? Like, I think it was just last Sunday, I walked in back there and I'm not sure, I, I think it was Mark walked up to me and said, hey, your collar's all messed up. And I appreciate that. You know, fix it up, you know, because I'm, I'm getting out of the van, throwing on my jacket and stuff. And so are you that kind of friend that if you see something messed up on somebody, you'll tell them, hey, some, you know, something in your teeth, you know, whatever, you know, tell them something. Are you that kind of friend that's like, I'll just let it go. <laughs> They'll be fine. They'll figure it out. I want to be that kind of friend, and I want those kind of friends in my life. And those are kind of some silly examples, but when it comes to more serious examples, who will say, hey, I've noticed this in your life, you know, do you want to talk about it? Or a friend who might be more willing to point out truth to you. Good friends will point out truth, even if we don't always like it, right? So do we want harmony or truth? If we want harmony, that means we want a preacher to get up and just say nice things and never really call out sin or be hard about how it is to follow Christ, but just give us some nice, sweet sermons? Or do we want truth? Jesus loved his disciples enough to give them truth and to give them the truth they needed. As we love one another, part, a part of that love will just be telling each other truth. Yes, we want harmony too, right? We want love and unity and harmony, but there are times when Sometimes it's the hard truth, right, that's needed. The third thing here you see there is he cared for them. We know Jesus cared for them by teaching them, 
by providing for them. There are times where he protected them. And so he shows his love. And then finally, he provided an example for them. He taught them how to act, how to pray, how to teach. He taught them how to treat other people. And ultimately, and it's going to happen in a few hours from John 15, Jesus teaches them how to suffer. That leads us to our third point. Our third thought about love, it's this, the extent of his love. Verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. How would you define, just think about it for a moment, how would you define the word love? I think that could be a hard word to define, maybe. Um, I was trying to think about that some this week and doing some reading on that. And I come across this, uh, some of you might remember this, some of us don't remember this, but in 1964, there was a Supreme Court ruling related to some movie that had some obscene scenes in the movie. And there was one Supreme Court justice, I believe it was Potter, Potter Stewart maybe, who wrote and said, basically he said, I don't think that those scenes were obscene. And he said, I can't really define what obscene even is in this case, but, and then he said these famous words that become famous. Anybody know it? He said, I'll know it when I see it. And I thought about that for, for love. It may be hard to define it with words. But for all of us who felt love before, we know what it is to feel love. Whether that's to feel the love of God, whether that's to feel the love of family, friends, church. We, we, we may not can define it, but we know what it is. And scripturally, there are at least three different kinds of loves. There's eros, which is like the the physical love between a, a husband and wife, that intimate love. There's phileo, which is that brotherly love. That's the word we get Philadelphia from, which is the city of brotherly love. And then there's the agape love. And in our text, every use of the word love is agape. And agape, again, hard to define, but it's just the, the, the you know, it's unconditional. It's a willful delight in an object, right? It's how I love my wife. I just do you know, and does she, you know, sometimes do things that annoys me and I annoy her? Of course we do, right? Do we sometimes get frustrated with each other and take a break? Of course we do, but I just can't stop loving her, right? I just do. I want to love her. I want to desire her. I want to treasure her. I want to be with her. And so it's this, this benevolence and goodwill and delight of an object of love. And Jesus says about it, greater love, greater agape, Greater delight in an object has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. There was a story this week about a man named Peyton Hillis. Some of y'all may have seen this. Peyton Hillis played football at the University of Arkansas, and then he played in the NFL, and his family was vacationing this week in Pensacola, and his children um, began to drown out in the water. And Peyton Hillis dove in. I don't even know the exact story, but he dove in and he saved his children. 
but he couldn't save himself. And he has been in ICU uh, in critical condition. But just thinking about that love of a father, right? I'm sure, I'm sure for not one second did he even hesitate to jump in that water. Um, we've read stories of people in war who would jump on a grenade, right, to save people around them. The idea of someone jumping in front of a bullet, giving their life for someone else, doesn't that just move us? It's a moving thing. But Jesus does not just give his life that they might live a little longer, does he? Jesus does not give his life so that we might live a little longer or have a better, just a better earthly experience. He lays down his life that we might have everlasting life forever. And the peace and the joy and the love that comes with that. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. What a friend we have in Christ. Number four. Number four is in verse 14, and it is our response to his love. Who are Jesus' friends? Well, he says this, you are my friends if you do whatever or the things that I command you. He says, my friends obey my commands. My friends obey my words. I've told you to love, and now your response is to go and to love one another. Again, we saw this the other day, too. There is this inseparable relationship between faith and obedience and between love and obedience. What's, what does um, James say? Faith without works is dead. It's, it's related to that. And, and faith and love for Christ must become obedience. And I would echo the words of Spurgeon here who says this re- refers to active obedience. Being a Christian is not just avoiding four or five evil things, but it's also about doing the things God's called us to do. And so I can avoid, maybe even avoid conflict, maybe avoid you know, gossip and avoid other sinful things in life. But if I don't go and do the things he's called me to do, then I'm still falling short. And so in this context, we must love one another. Verse 16, he, he says, you know, you did not choose me, I chose you. And then he says, I appointed you to go and bear fruit. We saw this back in verse 8 as well. He said that your fruit should abide. You've been appointed to go and bear fruit as you abide in me, and that fruit will be persevering fruit. It'll matter. We were talking about this up here before we started this morning. Do, do we give our time and our energy to things that matter most? Think about it. What things that we care about are going to be on this earth 100 years from now? Not much. What's eternal? God, His Word, and the souls of mankind. The souls of men and women, right? Boys and girls. God, His Word, and souls. That's what's eternal. And yet we spend most of our time on things that are temporal, don't we? And again, it's just a reminder to spend your thoughts, your time, your energy on those things that truly, truly matter. He says you're going to go, you're going to bear fruit. It's going to abide and then he gives us again this thought on prayer. Whatever you ask in my Father's name, I'll give to you, or he will give to you. This connection between abiding in God and being that, that relationship of prayer with God. 
Verse 17, he concludes again. Love one another. Let me give you three applications as we close this morning. Three quick applications to close. Number one, we are meant, church, to love one another. We're meant to, we are called to. And sometimes, even Christians live like we are resentful of one another or want to get in fights and disputes and compete and quarrel. Can I tell you something? I have zero desire to compete with Christians. You know what I'm saying? Zero desire. I don't I have zero desire to compete with churches down the road. Zero desire. I have zero desire to compete with any of you to see, to see who can be the best prayer or the best singer or the best guitar player or the best preacher or the best anything. I have zero desire to compete on those, on those things because we are do, supposed to be doing it together. But I know we like drama, don't we? we? I think we like drama. I mean, the top, I was thinking about this this week. The top sports shows that started 20 years ago were two or three guys sitting there arguing. And I think these people argue just for the sake of arguing. How about the news shows, y'all? I mean, I've cut out some news the last few months, and I feel so much better about myself. <laughs> I, really, and I feel great about it. Well, what are they doing on there? They're just arguing. Sometimes they pick one person just because they know they're going to argue. And we keep watching it. We eat that drama up, don't we? TV shows, true crime stuff. We just love drama. But let me tell you what's better than drama. No drama. That's better. In, in life anyway, right? I know we can enjoy some of those shows. But like in life and in church and what we're doing, I don't, wanna, I don't know about you. I don't want to go to work and have drama. I don't want to go to church and have drama. I don't want to go home and have drama. I want no drama. And if we focus on love, loving each other, doing the things God's called us to do, understanding we're meant to do this, then hopefully we can avoid drama and seek the will of God. The second application is we can do more as we love one another. Over in John 13, in verse 35, he said this to them. To the disciples, he says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. These disciples went out and, and people in the book of Acts, I've been reading through some Acts this week as well, and people in the book of Acts were not going, wow, we need to go down there because they have the best preachers. Or they have the best buildings. They didn't even have a building, really. That, you know, new church going house to house. and You know, there are all these... That church over there, they, those, those disciples, they've got the best programs going. They've got the best children's ministry, the best band in the church. I mean, they've got it going. That's not what they said. If you read through Acts, you see people going, uh, those people love each other. Those people sacrifice for each other. Those people care about each other. That's what we want to be, right? I really do want us to be that, and I think that's your prayer as well, that we would have a love for one another that if we're going to get noticed for anything as a church, then it would be that, right? I hope, I believe that this church has done things in the past year that if people outside the church heard about it, they would go, wow, that church really seems to help each other out, go above and beyond and care for each other. But let's continue to love that way and that our testimony would be a good one uh, to the world around us. We can do more 
together as we love one another. And finally, true believers love one another. Do you know Christ? Are you abiding in the true vine? Are you connected to Jesus because you realized you were a sinner, you needed him, you repented of that sin, which means you turned to him and you you put your faith in him, you realized that you needed to stop hoping in anything you can do and only hope in Christ. Have you been born again? Have you been redeemed? You, all these different words we use, right? Do you know Christ? If you don't, then I would call you to repent and believe this morning. But if you do, true believers love one another. Listen to this quote from John Charles Ryle. Where there is no Christ-like love, there is no grace, no work of the Spirit, and no reality in our religion. Blessed are those who do not forget Christ's commandment. They are those who shall have right to the tree of life and enter the celestial city. The unloving professor of Christ is unfit for heaven. I've told you all this before, that some of the most hateful people I've ever met were church members. Not in this church, but in other places. <laughs> How awful of a testimony is that? That for years, I've been going to churches and saying that, and I don't call names, but I would hope and pray that nobody would ever say that about me. And so God help me love more. What's love got to do with it? For us, everything. Let's love God and let's love one another. Would you bow?